Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sane Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff, and today I have another special guest with us. When I met her, she was VP of Global Brand Marketing for Universal Pictures Home Entertainment. Since then, she has transitioned into her new role, or her current role, better yet, uh, Vice President of Global Brand Strategy and Marketing at Universal Studio Group. Everybody, welcome Kelly Harrington. How are you doing this afternoon, Kelly? Hey, Cliff. I'm really well, thank you. Yeah, nothing like changing jobs during a pandemic. <laughs> Certainly been an experience. Not sure it'll be one that I get to do ever again in my lifetime, but um, right. we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but thanks for having me on your show. Yes, I'm super excited to have you on, and you know, I've really been looking forward to this. I've been telling everybody about it, so <laughs> I'm really excited to have the conversation that we're going to have today. So really quick, before I introduce the topics I like to do, as I always do, I want to shout out all the listeners in all 60-plus countries. So thank you guys. I love you guys. Thank you guys for continuing to like, share, subscribe, and spread the word about Sane Show. And thank you to everyone that follows us on social media. And if you don't, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Sane underscore show. That's Sane, S-A-N-E underscore show. And then you can find us on Facebook, Sane Show. Again, on Facebook, that's Sane Show. So today we're gonna be having a conversation about marketing to viewers. And then following that, we're gonna have a conversation about change of plans. And then following those two conversations, we're going to have an interview with you, Kelly, so that listeners can learn more about you, the things you do, and then all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. Sounds good to me. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go ahead and hop right into it with our first topic, marketing to viewers. Again, you know, you serve in a high-level executive position uh, with one of the most noticeable organizations in all of entertainment, which is always exciting. And like I was saying earlier, there's there's never a dull moment when it comes to marketing. And when I was putting this together, you know, I thought immediately back to my conversation uh, with my friend uh, who recently was at NBCU, Richard Borjas, and kind of what he was talking about as far as like the the current landscape with you know network television. And yeah. the way I look at it, you know, there's there's two groups. You know, the first group being, you know, millennials, you know, my generation, and Gen Z, the generation behind, uh, that is coming up behind us. And then there's the other group, you know, uh, Gen X, you know, so my parents' generation, and then the baby boomers, so the generation that came before them. And it, it seems like networks are, in my opinion you know, still figuring out how to juggle both because you're talking about traditional television viewers and now that the you know, millennial and, and Gen Z are, you know, millennials are older for the most part. We're, you know, all grown adults. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Gen Z are young adults and, you know, we're all signed up for, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus now and HBO Max just came out and I know NBCU just rolled out Peacock. So I'm pretty sure you know people are signing up for that as well. And I'm just really interested to know your perspective again, you know, having served in the positions that you have served in and serve in now, you know, your perspective about the current landscape, you know, with streaming versus traditional television and then these two groups with 
millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, and the baby boomers. Well, you've come out with the big hitting hard question. Thanks for that, Cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, marketing is always evolving. I mean, as you can imagine, it's constantly evolving and there's so many factors that make marketing evolve, whether it's generations, as you were just talking about, whether that's technology or whether it's just our consumption behaviours. It definitely moves super quickly. I would say, though, that I think what we're looking at really is generational marketing. So segmenting our marketing to who are we talking to, what are we saying, and where are we saying it? I always try and break it down into those three areas when it comes to marketing, but specifically with generational marketing. It's really nuanced. And actually, the four segments that you spoke about, so the boomers, the Gen X, the Gen Zs, um, and millennials, they're really they're really distinct in their own marketing, um, well, their own profile, I should say. And actually, we're seeing their consumption of entertainment uh, is really quite different. I would say, though, that, you know, my number one goal in my role is to really make sure that audience watch our content anywhere anytime on any platform so as long as they're watching universal content i am a very happy lady um but i just i just thought i'd break down the four different segmentations and and then kind of give who are they what are we saying to them and where are we saying it so our boomers as we know they were born between 1946 and 1964 they are an economically influential generation Basically, that these guys are the big spenders and they love entertainment. So I think there'll be some surprises when we look at the boomers. We tend to think that boomers and Gen X are not necessarily tech savvy, um, certainly not in comparison to the younger generations, and we understand why. But the, the speed at the, which they're catching up or have caught up is really in the entertainment arena is really quite impressive. So again, something you may not immediately think of, they are the largest investors in premium cable TV. So cable and and services like you were saying, the Disney Pluses, the Peacocks, the Netflixes, the boomers are actually the, the part of the segment of the market that actually invest the most. And they are they always have the latest smartphones. So it's really interesting to see that we've, again, I think because things have moved so quickly, we've generally not seen them in that light. But when we do look at them in that light, then what are we saying to them? So a couple of other identifiers for the boomers is they're super loyal. So in the entertainment world, and we know they love entertainment. So, so what are we saying? We're talking to them about content they already love. And no different to with podcasts. So we talk about franchises to them. So it could be TV, it could be film, but they're very much into exploring additional for a different additional content in that franchise. So if you're thinking a TV series like the the world of Dick Wolf, and um, he's got Chicago's, he's got Law and Order, it's easy to transition easier to have that conversation about transition to watch the other franchise, other elements of the franchise. The other 
quite distinct, it, this is really quite distinct to the boomers, is it's much easier to have a direct cell conversation with them. So when we talk in a moment about where do we find these consumers, having that direct, more harder cell of it might be sign up to Peacock, it might be take your grandchildren to the cinema or theatres, you can really say it in that sort of terminology and you can upsell them. So you might take them in the scenario of a peacock, you might take them from the free ad-served business into a more premium solution. And it's easy to say, hey, you'll get this if you do this. So they're really quite unique. And then where do we say this? No surprise that Everybody is very familiar with Facebook being one of the earlier social media <laughs> platforms. Everyone's familiar with it. And for, for the boomers, it's really clear letting them know on Facebook, letting them know on, one of the, on a couple of the more traditional mediums for marketing, so outdoor, so billboards, posters, bus stops, again, really easy to communicate, but also premium ads. So if there are services out there where it's a premium ad or an ad in a premium service, for the boomers, it's actually a really good spot to have a chat to them. Then the Gen Xs. So these guys were born between 1965 and 1980. They are super busy. An absolute characteristic of our Gen X is they are super busy and they're really quite price conscious. So we can already start to see that big shift in one's, one's got a lot of cash to spend, the other one's now really price conscious, and clearly there's lots of reasons. There might be children in the home, there might be education to pay for, households, the mortgage might be in a different place. But the one thing that these guys do is they go to store. So you will get them out in the car. And when we think about what we're saying, one thing that's super important to the Gen Xs are ethical messages. So when we're thinking about content, and particularly in this day and age as we all should be having those conversations around diversity, if we're communicating diversity, if we're communicating the eco approach to some of the content, um, if we talk what's happening in front of the camera and behind the camera, these ethical messages really land with the Gen Xs. So they might be super busy, so they might consume content in a different way. They might have, they might be watching a different kind of content. It might be more family orientated, but at least we know the different through lines that we can pull out to engage. And then where are we saying it? The Gen Xs are massive on social. They are the biggest group on social, which again I think surprises people because we all yeah, think that. Definitely the, caught me by surprise. Yeah, right? Because we all think the the younger you are, the more attached to your phone, and I'm sure that there's a lot of merit in that. But um, we're, the Gen Xs were kind of crossing that. I was not born into technology, but I've really adapted to it. And they might not be on TikTok, let's be honest. They will be reading blogs, but it's just a very different approach. They are, they have, where else do we send our messages to this group? Again, outdoor. But email marketing, email marketing is really strong with this group. So if we're talking about needing to have a bit more of a conversation around some of those ethical messaging, email marketing and blogs is really, really important. And then when we look at Facebook, Facebook probably being, again, 
the highest social platform that they engage with. They want to be communicated in a way which is around celebrations for them. They're very, again, whether they have children at home or not, it, it's the family unit. So they're talking about celebrating birthdays. If you talk to them about celebrating anniversaries, so it might be a message around go to the theatre and watch this film, just you and, you know, your partner for your anniversary date night. Or it might be, why don't you have a family night around birthday celebrations and watch this film that you used, a TV show that you love. So we, we start to see quite a big difference even between the first two, which are the boomers and the Gen Xs. So I, I know everybody sort of sits back and says those groups are non-tech for the most, but actually we see, at least in our arena, that they are they're definitely ones we'd like to bottle, particularly the boomers, because they got the cash. <laughs> so Cliff, you and I probably don't fall into that category at all. <laughs> And then we have <laughs> our millennials and our Gen Z. So our millennials, as we know, were born between 1981 and 1996. These guys, the irony is, so they're not they're not super busy like our um, like our Gen Xers, but they've got this disposable income. Who who knew? But the boomers have got a stack of cash, as do our millennials. Now there's a the little bit of a difference. They might not have a stack of cash, but they're big spenders and they spend online. I won't so speak on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all um, hit the credit cards at different times, that's for sure. The interesting piece about the millennials, if they're big spenders online, then that's a perfect opportunity for us to have that conversation with them. Online, it's whether you whether they're right or wrong, we can create marketing environments and lookalikes. And, and I'm not going to go as far as saying we track you when we're not Facebook, <laughs> but we can definitely identify some of your behaviours and then we can serve you relevant content and relevant ads. And we hope then that that leads to whether it be a transaction or a subscription. They have traditionally, the millennials they're ageing up a little bit. So traditionally, they've been pretty unresponsive to traditional marketing methods. They have to be highly innovative, which is fantastic because as a marketeer, it really pushes us to think differently. But we're starting to see a little bit of a change. So what we're saying to these guys, they really want to know about the story and taking a stance on social issues. So, again, a little bit like some of the other groups, pulling out those storylines and making it feel like a social conscious decision is really important to our millennials. I will say that they are very swayed by celebrities. So celebrity influencers, a key part of the, the makeup of a millennial. So if we can take those celebrities, or in our case in entertainment, if we take those characters and talk about social asset, sorry, social issues, then that's a really powerful asset for us. It gets people deeply engaged with the content and it's also something that as a business of our size, we should and we do do. We take our social issues incredibly seriously. And then the other difference with the millennials is they really do enjoy being a part of the experience by creating user-generated content. 
They love to be, you know, they, they kind of, they aspire to be that celebrity or they aspire to be famous because that's what ticks the box for them. So where we're saying our messages for the millennial groups, no surprise, celebrity influencers. So again, you know, the talent can be a part of that for us. They are starting, as I said, to age up slightly. So they're starting to really take note of some of the more traditional marketing um, mediums that we've had, which they've tr they've always ignored. But now they're like, oh, you know what? I'm okay with living my life just beyond social. They The number one activation for them, the number one thing that they do is email. They're in their inbox all the time and they really like loyalty programs. So when you start to combine their behaviour with also what they like, you can really start to serve up fantastic content and letting them know where it is straight into their inbox, which is a real direct conversation. Again, social for them is key. I mean, social is key for the whole world these days. And they do rely to some degree on blogs, but certainly not to the same degree that we were seeing with our Gen Xs. And then finally, everybody born after 1997, my goodness, the Gen Zs. So the, the big difference with the Gen Zs is what are we saying to them is our approach is dive into our universe. So when we talked about a couple of the others, it was more around social activation. This is diving into a universe. So a really good example is they know everything about the Marvel universe. They'll know everything about the Jurassics of the world. And they very much get completely integrated and absorbed into it. And the way that they do that, and this is where we have these direct conversations, they're the Gen Zs are a great opportunity for us to serve up short-form content to accompany a show. So with the dual screening, they're very adept to being able to, hey, I'm watching this, but I'd like to investigate this. And so therefore, if it's on, if it's on the key main screen, we can be serving up additional messaging on their dual screen. So there's a bit of a difference. And you'll hear terms like um, AVOD, so advertising video on demand, short form content. These tend to be short snippets, YouTube's made up of it, which accompanies or it's conversations that accompany Twitter, Twitter watch parties. There's so many different variants of it these days, but it's about that overload me with information. And then where are we saying it? A big difference between our Gen Zs and our millennials is the switch in the influences. So for the millennials, they are huge on celebrity influences, but our Gen Zs are really into real life influences and making those connections. They're very much into word of mouth, which is apparent you know, through all of the segmentations, but more so with our Gen Zs. And I think the biggest and most obvious is TikTok. There are definitely celebrities on TikTok, but this generation is obsessed with TikTok and the fact that it's all, it is a lot of real life influences. And, and the other su surprise for me really was also email. Email comes into it. I mean, I think a lot of marketeers are very aware of just how important email is. 
So again, Cliff, look, I know that's a bit of a whirlwind visit of our um, segmentation, our generational marketing, but back up to the top of what I said, as long as um, the world is meeting my number one objective, which is audiences watching universal content anywhere, anytime on any platform, (laughs) I am a happy lady. (laughs) Yeah, you said some really great things, especially I'm thinking about like, just with the Dick Wolf productions, right, and Law mm-hmm. and Order, and I'm just thinking about how <laughs> I see why he's such a staple. <laughs> yeah, he has every he has things that that crosses across that goes across generations. Yeah, he I really remember, does. Yeah, I, I remember before SVU came around, and and now we have SVU, and like we're hooked on that, and now they there's such a socially conscious production and. Now thinking about the other productions that he now has, and it's just this this guy knows how to reach everybody. All right, we're back. So now we're gonna have a conversation about changing of plans. You know, this is a topic that you know I thought would be very fitting for this recording and with you especially because you know I found your story to be very unique and oftentimes we've been talking to people on the show you know always learning about people's journeys stories and you know how they transition from one thing to another but I found yours to be very unique because unlike like many yeah you you change positions and you know you went into a different industry but with yours what made it more unique was that you that took you to a different country <laughs> so <laughs> you know really wanting to just you know just dive into that uh, especially because you know, we talk about you know changing of plans and even i've changed plans in the in the in my short 28 uh, years <laughs> um and also you know just letting people know like hey it, and it served as a reminder to me that it's okay to change plans it happens. We start out wanting to do one thing. We may find out, okay, this may not be it for me, or it may not be it for me right now. So let me go into something else. Let me try something different. Let me see where this other path might take me. So, you know, definitely want to hand it over to you just to let you speak on that and share a little bit of your experience as far as, you know, you haven't changed plans. Yeah, well, gosh, when we make plans, particularly when we look back at different stages in our life, like when you were a kid, we make these plans and it's probably the biggest thing is about going down to the corner of the street and and meeting up with our friends. And as we get older, then we think about going to potentially going to university or school or going into the workplace. And, And these plans are really solid. And then all of a sudden, a few years go past and it's time to change those plans. We've got so much more experience in life and that sort of, guides us and you're right it it is okay to change plans and I would even go one step further and say go change the plans that's what life is about so for me it was very much about I wanted to be a photographer and that was my plan I went to university and I studied there were so many steps along the way to where I am today so you're right I have changed countries I've changed countries twice who knew that was in the plan yeah I'm not sure you set out to make that specific plan, but when you give yourself that opportunity to grow and experience and walk through those doors that are 
open sometimes. Sometimes they're ajar. Sometimes we can't even see them. But I think that having that opportunity to change plans, if if you do have that opportunity, I really do think going and grasping it. I've moved from photography. I moved into a training role, a sales role, into a marketing role. I've changed industries a couple of times. And all of that just ends up being my life. And I think that hopefully one day I'm going to look back and go, wow, you you got to do quite a lot. I don't think the world should have borders. I don't think that our careers should have borders. I think that we're put on this earth to go and experience everything that we possibly can. So I am a massive advocate for change. I've probably got 10 t-shirts in my wardrobe that is be the change and I really do stand by it. Change can be terrifying, change can be confusing. The one thing I would say is really rely on your network, really rely on your resources and that could be family and friends, that could be mentors, bosses, it could be your HR department. Make sure that you've done your prep and you're open Make sure that your mind is open to what the possibilities are because, for me, change is something, if I don't have enough change in life or in my career, I actually become a little bit disruptive and naughty. So <laughs> change, change for me is a really, really staple and important part of my outlook on life. I One, I agree. Two, I respect that. As I'm listening to you, it just reminds me of how in the we live in a society where it's almost like change is frowned upon, uh, especially when we talk about changing jobs or careers. And yeah. you know, like people want to try something new sometimes. And I understand that companies have processes and that it costs to recruit and hire and interview. Yeah. You have those who, who are just flying by the seat of their pants. And then you have those who are genuine, like, you know what? I think it's time for a change. Definitely. And I think yeah. both are Go both are good. Fly by the seat of your pants at times. Why not? I think that's a terrific opportunity to see what comes along. And in other situations, plan and make that change. Make it a calculated decision. Look, if we if we don't strive for change beyond just ourselves, social situations and the world around us, um, Black Lives Matter, we need change. So go plan and be responsible and make that change. So you can apply that to to yourself. But at other points in time, just allow yourself to be open to change. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Honestly, I think that that's for me personally, you know, this business, being in this business is, has taught me that because I told you, you know, I'd start out, I want to be a tour promoter. <laughs> and like, Late I still, nights. That's, yeah, like that's still something I want to do, but I never knew that I would get into podcasting and then I would make it something of it and then get to this point now where I, I see myself doing even more as talent and not just, you know, to that first year I came in, I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to be the guy in the front that's on camera or singing. I don't, I don't want to do, I don't want to be that person, but just so happens I am that person now. (laughs) I'm on the microphone. I'm, you know, like, and it's, it's fun. It's fun. And uh, being able to to tap into that other side, like you just never know. I mean, again, I never set up a podcast. It's like, okay. It's really true. 
yeah, yeah, I think, you know, if you hadn't have been open to change and look, you, you didn't plan out to be a podcast um, presenter and have your own show. Podcasts, to be fair, when we were making our initial plans, when we were meeting our friends down on the corner of the street, podcasts didn't even really exist. So how can you plan for that? But with mm-hmm. the changes in technology, you you have been able to keep yourself open and now it is a big part of what you do. So, again... <laughs> it's it's a real balance between the two. Don't try and plan everything. You'll go crazy. Right. <laughs> no, that's true. That is that's very true. I, I, I am a believer in spontaneity as well. I will say I'm not as spontaneous as I would like to be, and that's what I admire about other individuals, like just the spontaneity and to be able to do something or try something and the and to watch and see how it flourishes whether it be something for the long term or just something for the moment. Like it's always fun to watch that because it's always, you know, something to be to be gained from that. You know? I and agree. I, I, I think that's also part of, you know, something that we've talked about on the show before, keeping an open mind to various different things. Definitely. Look, I'm a fan believer. Walk through every door and even if it slams and hits you on the butt, you mm-hmm. would have learned something. And you'll take that with you into either the next job or your next career move or your next holiday, whatever that looks like. Just you'll take learnings from it. It might not feel great at the time or it might feel terrific. Who knows? But you will take something away from every situation. That is very true. All right, we're back. Now I'm going to ask you some questions, Kelly, so that the listeners and I can learn more about you, the things you do, and all the fun and exciting things that go along with that. So I'm going to fire off with my first question here. You said yourself that a career in in the entertainment industry wasn't originally a part of the plan. If you could share with the listeners a little bit about your transition from photography to entertainment. Yeah, sure. Gosh, there were many stepping stones along the way. Let me be super clear. Um, I didn't just go from photography to entertainment in one day, as much as time gets away and, and things move so quickly. When I reflect back on it, it definitely did take a little while to, I think more importantly, just to understand what I wanted to do. I knew I needed to change from photography. And there are some definitely some similarities between the two. When we think about photography in the entertainment industry, you know, particularly in marketing, there's a really creative element to it. There's also being able to communicate clearly what your ideas and aspirations are for a campaign as it is on a photographic shoot. But back to the many steps along the way. So I did a lot of thinking around identifying what my skill set was and it may not be immediately apparent. So at that point, I actually reached out to some people that would help me identify what my skill sets were. And they were from, I reached out to three or four people from different industries and just said, if I tell you what my skill set is, tell me where the relevant skills are for your industry. So I think that that was a, a really big learning curve for me of taking that time, investing in the upfront kind of planning and and deciphering of what my skill set definitely was sort of could form into, I guess, not what it necessarily was now, but where could that lead me? I went and 
one piece of advice that I was given was go and find the number one company in that industry and set your sights. And so when I moved from being a photographer, I actually joined Kodak because there was this natural progression of just a general sense of understanding of photography moving into Kodak, but clearly in a very different capacity. So my stepping stones was I first of all started in training so it was taking my technical ability and my ability to communicate into a training environment. And I went and went back to school and got certificates in training. So I was a fully qualified um, workplace trainer. At that point, when I started to build out those relationships, my next stepping stone was I actually moved into a sales role. So I was tapped on the shoulder and asked if I would move into a sales role. And as I started to understand more around business in general and the diversity of business and there was a division at that point in time which was film stocks sold to the movie industry um, and it very peripheral like it's not like it was the entertainment industry in any way it was just a supplier of film stock and then my next stepping stone was into marketing and that's when I really started to spend more time honing my marketing skills I was looking for a change at that point and I went to the business and spoke to HR and the business leaders and said, look, I'm in sales. I'd like to move into something else. And I literally used those words. I didn't know that marketing would be an opportunity for me, but the business put marketing in front of me and I fell in love. I absolutely love marketing. I think that the, the balance between the magic and the math, the creative and the science is something that really resonated with me and probably why I didn't want to be as a photographer. I wasn't getting a good balance of both. And at that point, I decided I needed to have a change of industry. And again, went back to stage one of what are my skills? How are they relevant to another industry? And that was when I kind of stumbled into the, into the entertainment industry. And I applied for a role at Warner Brothers. I had been really clear on what my skill set had been at Kodak by that stage, still coming from that photographic background. And I was very fortunate that I was offered the role in the interview. I probably only understood 60% of what the job was, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. But I went in with confidence knowing what my skill set was. And they could relate to what my skill set was look was and what it could be again and from there I had three great years at Warner Brothers and enjoyed and learned so much about the industry I was based in the UK and it went from there Universal tapped me on the shoulder at um, after the three years and said come and work for us and best decision I ever made I have been at Universal for 10 years I've just um, come up 10 years with uh, NBC and the opportunities that I have been given I've again moved countries I moved from the UK to the US and I uh, I work for one of the best companies in the entire world so that is my little journey from photography to entertainment awesome that <laughs> never gets old my next question to you obviously Los Angeles or Hollywood is the entertainment capital of the world us here in the States know the difference between Hollywood and local industries like in Atlanta or Nashville. How would you describe the difference between London and Hollywood? It's a really good analogy. The Atlanta and Nashville versus Hollywood is a really good analogy. 
this, the UK has an outstanding entertainment industry and they have productions of all scales. So when you think, you know, big blockbuster films like Harry Potter, um, Mission Impossible, Fast and Furious, there are so many films that are made in the UK and TV productions are second to none. Um, you've got Sky Studios with an incredible array of products. I would say, though, just by the nature of the UK being a smaller geographical area and also population, the scale of the industry is definitely on a different level. And my my specific experience, when I worked in the UK, I was... It was a very fancy building in central London, uh, multicoloured, right in the hype of what we call the entertainment area. But at the end of the day, it was a very fancy high rise in the middle of a city. And it was very much around the business side of entertainment. You know, we didn't see, we weren't on the lot. So moving to Los Angeles or to Hollywood and being on the lot now, is a completely different experience. I feel like I've gone from working for a really cool big business to working for a TV and movie studio. And on my very first day, actually, when I I came down from the hotel, I had flown in the night before. Uh, it was quite early in the morning. My sleeping patterns were upside down and I was jet lagged. And I <laughs> walked through the car park. And all of a sudden, there was this massive monstrosity of a thing in in front of me, and I nearly got run over by it. And when I pulled my head up and looked up, it was a huge camera on basically this massive structure. And I thought, wow, you're no longer in London. You are now in Hollywood. I nearly got (laughs) run over by a camera. Talk about a welcome (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I'm fortunate that I escaped unharmed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) My next question, when speaking with the Universal Home Entertainment team, whom you introduced me to and the team you were also a a part of, (laughs) I spoke about how Black people are portrayed in American media and how it's affected global perception. Being from London, what do you think of American media's general portrayals? And now that you reside here, how do you think they could be improved? Yeah, sure. So I don't necessarily think it's an American-only portrayal within the media. I honestly believe that traditionally, I think it's fair to say the whole world was representing one image and one view. And we've been doing that for, in my opinion, and, and hopefully everyone's opinion, way too long. We need to be... When, when you're growing up in it and it's really one view, you know, you're seeing white people, you're seeing white stories and, and the depiction, if there are minorities or people of colour or, you know, anything that diversifies from that one image, they're normally portrayed in a pretty poor light. So, you know, they're the baddie, they're the robber, they're the murderer or they're the, you know, not the second or the third part, they're the fourth, fifth, sixth part playing a part. I think that's pretty reminiscent of the entire world. I think that, like everybody now agrees, you know, we need to be amplifying stories of of more than one view, both in front and behind the camera. And the media needs to join us. So it's not just about the content we make, it's about the way that we talk about the content as well. So, you know, you can't have a diverse TV show and then only have one portrayal that's picked up by the media. So variety needs to be talking about diversity in hand with us. We are just starting 
really just starting to represent a more diverse view. We've got a really long way to go. And I'm not saying that as an NBC employee. I'm saying that as the world. We need diversity, equity, inclusion to really be our new normal. And I hope in some way, albeit very small, that I play a part in, in making that our new normal. Me too. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've been a terrific partner and I thank you. <laughs> My last and final question, you know, Following your departure from Kodak, you traveled for six months. I did. I encourage, I highly encourage others to do when departing from an organization, if they can do so. How did you spend that time while traveling? And what went through your mind during that period of transition? Yeah, I think, Cliff, it's really important that to identify if it's a priority for you. And if it is, there are ways to make it happen. And for me, travel is hugely important. I've got family all over the world. And so it can be quite tricky at times, or particularly at the moment in a global pandemic, to see your family. And family is incredibly important to me. So I, I really was a lucky, lucky lady to be able to go and travel for that period. So what did I do and what went through my mind? Well, the very first thing, no surprise, I picked up my camera. Mm. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to get out and, you know, again, life is about experiences. Um, travel opens up the door, the door to diversity and diversity of our world from culture to food to traditions, um, from technology to architecture, and it really shapes our future. So I wanted to capture some of that through the lens of a camera which is something that I just, I'm so lucky to be able to have studied that and understand how to take photographs. Um, I also wanted to spend time with family. It's important to regenerate and, you know, make sure that you're feeding your support that you, you need. And it was great. My sister was having a baby in California. Um, I had another sister who just had a baby in Canada. I mean, <laughs> it was it was incredible to be able to go and, and travel and experience different parts of the world. My husband's from Malaysia. I spent a lot of time eating roti chanai in Malaysia. Um, so again, really, really lucky to be able to have these opportunities. And for me, it was about feeding my creative inspiration. So not was I just replenishing that support that my family gives me, but I really needed to get back into that creative inspiration. I didn't want to go and be a photographer. I wasn't regressing to wanting to be a photographer, but I needed to really fill the tank on uh, my inspiration. And the other thing that I was really conscious of was I was I am still and clearly aware of how fortunate I was and I wanted to as much as I was taking from the world around me I wanted to give back I wanted there to be a really good balance and I did take the time to go and support friends and that were starting small businesses and small businesses in general you know, this global pandemic has shown us that so many small businesses have closed down and it's been a real struggle but we've also seen an insurgence of innovative small businesses popping up but they everybody needs some support so i pro i provided services at no no charge to some small businesses and really just gave them my hours and volunteered to understand their business to be able to help them grow in a particular area, particularly when I looked at their sales and marketing, how were they going about that? 
how are they doing their analysis of the marketplace? These are things that I had been doing for a long time and I felt like it was a way that I could give back. So fingers crossed there's some good juju out there <laughs> and I haven't just taken, taken, taken. <laughs> right, right, right. I, you know, I, I really like that, giving back, not just uh, – we, we always think giving back is money monetarily, but, you know, give it back through your skills, right? Give whatever it is, your resources or whatever. So that's really awesome of you. And, and thank you for taking time to, out of your schedule to come on the same show today. Thanks, Cliff. It's been fantastic. And I hope everybody loves the same show as much as I do. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for continuing to like, share, and subscribe of the same show. Really appreciate it. Really love you guys. And thank you again, Kelly, for coming on. Definitely got to have you back on the show. I really enjoyed you. And it's always great talking to you as well, as you already know. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. Again, listeners, you're listening to Sane Show, show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out. <laughs>